Pastor Ken. It's a privilege for me to be here today. I've known your pastor for a number of years. In fact, we served on the board of IGM together uh, for quite some time. And it's just been really a blessing to me. I knew him, but I really didn't know him. We would talk and we'd see each other. But since we went to that conference in October and we decided we wanted to get together and pray together, it's been a real blessing to my heart, just getting together and getting to know him, uh, getting to see how God is working in his life, and it's also a blessing to see what God is doing all around Rochester. Uh, this morning, I'd like to direct your attention, if you would please, to Acts chapter 2. Uh, in our church, I thought since we were starting a church, it would only be fitting to go through the book of Acts, because that was the beginning of the church. And so as we go to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 41 down to verse 47. So those that received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together in the breaking of bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we just ask that one more time that you would take your word and just use it to be a blessing to your people. Lord, I pray as we look at this early church and, and how this early church was formed and what they did in their worship to you. I pray, Father, it would be an encouragement to us. I pray that it would stimulate our thinking and just motivate us to be able to think about what we need to do in order to make a church survive. And God, we'll just give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory and thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do through your word today, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Art Linkletter once saw a little boy drawing a picture. Those of you that are old enough, you know who Art Linkletter is. He was furiously coloring away with an intense look on his face. Linkletter asked him, son, what are you drawing? The little boy replied, a picture of God. Linkletter informed the lad that no one knows what God looks like, to which the boy confidently responded, they will when I get through. You know, when you come to Acts chapter 2, there's something that takes place in Acts chapter 2 that had not taken place before. You know, Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 16, he told us that he was going to build his church. But until you get to Acts chapter 2, we don't even know what that is. We don't know what it looks like. 
But by the time you get through the book of Acts and through the New Testament, we have a very clear picture of what the church looks like. We have here in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 47, it's actually God's blueprint on what the church should look like. You know, before you build something, you need to have a blueprint to follow to understand what it is that you're building. You know, I, I, what I think is amazing is when you look at Acts chapter 2, you don't have individuals going to seminars. They're not reading the latest teachings on how do you form a church. There were no books written to tell them what to do. In fact, all they had was the Spirit of God moving upon a group of people. And God did a marvelous work in starting his church. We see in chapter 1, it tells us the individuals that God used in verse 5. It said they were Jews. They were devout men. They were men that took hold of spiritual things. They were not run-of-the-mill, fringe people. But they were devout religious men that were just doing what Jesus Christ told them to do. When Jesus departed, he told them they were to stay and they were to wait until the Spirit of God came. And you'll find they waited. And when the Spirit of God came, there were some miraculous things that took place. In fact, in verse 9 to 11 of chapter 1, we begin to see that, that these men and the 120 that were with them they begin to speak in different languages. And these pilgrims in Jerusalem, they began to speak to all these individuals that came. And we're told that, you know, when Peter stood up in chapter 2 and he preached that message in the temple, there were most likely 100,000 individuals in that temple area when he preached the word of God. And then all of a sudden you have people that were speaking the word of God in their language and people were amazed as they looked at these individuals and how they were speaking their language. I thought it was interesting. There was one individual that did a study and he said there were at least 15 different places that were mentioned where the languages and dialects were being spoken. The territory that these languages would have covered was about 2 million square miles. The languages covered stretched from Iran to the east to Rome on the west. That was a distance of about 2,000 miles. It went north and south and stretched from Italy all the way to Arabia, another 1,000 miles, which made it approximately 2,000 square miles of territory where all of these people came from and they're hearing the word of God in their language. You know, as you look in Acts chapter 1, you have 120 people obeying the spirit of God. When you come to the ending of Acts chapter 2, you now have 3,120 people that have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and the church has been born. And it was as a result of the preaching of Peter and it tells us here in our text that they gladly received the word and were baptized and added to the church role. 
And I think what you have here in Acts chapter 2 is we get a glimpse into the early days. What did that church do in its infancy? You know, you got to think for a minute. I mean, you've got a bunch of immature, inexperienced believers. They're full of optimistic life. And all they know is the Spirit of God has been working, and they're excited about what God wanted them to do. And you find there's an instructive note in verse 42. It said, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You'll find that this early church, they had four practices that they were doing regularly, and it's what helped them to get this early church going. It was a spirit-filled church. You'll find that they were devoted to doctrine, they were devoted to fellowship, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, and they were devoted to prayer. The very first practice was the observance of doctrine. They submitted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. You know, there's some well-meaning people in our day, sincere people. They're so emotionally ecstatic about their experience that they minimize the systematic instruction by a trained teacher. You know, these people here were filled with the Spirit of God. And they wanted to the men that were leading them, that were spirit-filled, to teach them that they might be able to grow thereby. You know, the mark of a healthy, spirit-filled believer, it's not one that disdains teaching or minimizes it. Well, you'll find that a spirit-filled believer is one that hungers and submits himself to the teaching of the Word of God. So we have here that these people, they wanted to hear the teaching of the Word of God. They hungered for it. They wanted to hear what the apostles had to say. But you know what? They didn't have this completed book like you and I have. In fact, many of them would not have had Bibles to even look at. They would get together, and you would have the, the individual, the apostles, stand up, and they would read the scripture out loud. And the people were hungering, these new believers. They would hear things like Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, the Lord sitting at the right hand of the Father. They would hear Psalms like Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. Psalm 22, the psalm about the suffering shepherd. Psalm 23, the Psalm of the Divine Shepherd. Psalm 24, the Psalm of the Chief Shepherd. They would have also heard passages like Isaiah 53 being read to them about the suffering servant. But most of all, they would have heard the things that Jesus taught, his words and the works that he had done. That's what the apostles would have been teaching them. And everyone was observing firsthand observers, those individuals that actually saw the life and the ministry of Jesus. They wanted to hear the stories. They wanted to hear what Jesus Christ had said and taught. 
You'll find the second practice of this early church as they continued in fellowship. In verse 42, it said, in fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Fellowship. You all know that word. It's the word koinonia. These individuals loved to get together. The word koinonia means that they were sharing themselves with each other. You know, in 1 John chapter 3, we're told that we know that we love God if we love the brethren. Also in our text, if you see in verse 44, it said they had all things common. They were fellowshipping. They had all things common. That word common means they opened their hearts to one another. They were willing to share not only of themselves, but you'll find they were willing to share of their possessions, their food, everything that they had. They were sharing it with one another. They enjoyed fellowshipping together. You know, the Christian life cannot be lived in isolation. We need each other. That's why we get together. You know, the foot or the arm cannot be taken away from the body and live in isolation. This past week, I was watching an episode of uh, Bones, and they had an arm, and they had a leg on the table, disconnected from the body. And guess what? They weren't functioning. They were laying there. They were dead. They couldn't do anything. We need to get together. We need one another. We need to fellowship and function together. Someone has observed, they said, you know, the word saint only occurs once in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verse 21. But the word saints appears nearly 60 or more times from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation. The saints loved being around the brethren. They loved sharing with one another. They loved sharing their testimonies, their food, their goods, their blessing. You know, if there's one thing any good Bible-believing Christian likes to do, we like to get together and have potlucks. I love having potlucks. And that's what these folks were doing. They were getting together. They were fellowshipping. And later on, Paul exhorted them in chapter 10 of Hebrews that they should not forsake the assembling of themselves together, but they should desire to be together. You know, saved people love being around saved people. They love talking about spiritual things. I don't know about you, but I love getting around, I don't care who the Christians are, I don't even know a lot of you folks here today, some I do, but you know, it's always a joy to get together with God's people, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, talking about spiritual things, modeling what spirit-filled people are like and how they should behave. Nearly a century ago, Pastor G. Campbell Morgan visited a church member who was absent from his church for some time. And as he visited the man, they were sitting by his fireplace, warming themselves by the fire with the red-hot coals. And the man looked at Dr. Morgan and he said, I don't need the church anymore in my spiritual walk. Without saying anything, Dr. Morgan reached over, took the poker, reached into the fire, and separated one coal which he slid toward them, and they all looked at the coal. In a short time, the coal lost its fire, and it went out. 
He didn't say a word. He just used an illustration to show that when you disassociate yourself with God's people, it doesn't take long before the fire goes out of your life. It doesn't take long before you can't function the way you would if you were among God's people. You know, most of us, when we do think of koinonia, we do think of potlucks and socials. However, the word is more connected with the idea of commitment to one another. In order to accomplish the mission of the church, we need to be together. We need to encourage one another. You know, when I see folks, even in our new church, when I see folks not there, you know, it, 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 it hurts your heart because we need each other. We need to be together, functioning together, banding together as we try to do God's work. Third practice of this early church is they were breaking bread. It's interesting when you look at that word breaking. I never thought of this before, but it's talking about you got a big loaf and you're breaking off a piece or you're breaking off a bite in order for you to eat it. Several times I had an opportunity to go to India right around the time when they were celebrating their New Year. And if you've ever been to a New Year celebration in India, it's quite an ordeal. You have all the people get together, could anywhere be from four, five, six thousand people or more. They all get together and, and the first thing they do is the New Year's approaching is they have one preacher after another getting up and preaching and teaching the Word of God. And then at midnight, everybody starts jumping up and down. You think they're going crazy. And everybody's bringing fruit up and piling it on the stage. And I can remember asking Dr. Chatler, what are they doing that for? He said, they're bringing their first fruits and they're giving it to God. And afterwards, they'll take all that fruit and bag it up and give it to the pastors to take home in order that they might be able to feed their families. Then after they do that, it's probably about 2 o'clock in the morning, and then they decide, we're going to have communion. And so the deacons get together, and they bring up these big loaves of bread, and they put them on the table, and they just start breaking it apart and piling it up on trays. And they go out, and they give pieces of bread to all, whoever it is, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 people, so you can imagine the amount of time that it takes. But they literally take this verse literal. They break it apart, they take it out, and they give it to everyone. And I'm sure these believers did not fully understand what they were doing. For you find in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, Paul says, the bread that we break, is it not? a participation in the body of Christ. In other words, as we break the bread and we eat of it, we're remembering what Jesus has done for us. In verse 17, he said, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So as we get together and we fellowship, the purpose of breaking the bread is remembering why we're here. Jesus has had his body broken for us. These believers were daily getting together, breaking bread, having fellowship, and doing these things together. And then the fourth practice they had 
It says they practiced prayers. They were devoted to prayer. Now, it's interesting, the word that's used there, the word literally means intercessions, petitions. It means calling upon God for something that he had that they needed. It also means that it wasn't something that was just a simple little ditty they were throwing up. These individuals were devoted. They were in the habit of praying and seeking God's face for what they needed. I believe one of the missing ingredients in God's church today is the ingredient of prayer. You know, how do we think that God can do anything if we're not praying and seeking God to work supernaturally and get involved in a supernatural ministry that he is showing us? You know, we need God to act on our behalf. Some years ago, there was a study that was done by an agricultural school in Iowa. It reported that the production of 100 bushels of corn from one acre of land required 4 million pounds of water, 6,800 pounds of oxygen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of sulfur, as well as many other ingredients, too numerous to list. In addition to these ingredients, you needed rain and sunshine that were required at the right times. And although many hours that the farmer labored and done what he did, it was estimated that that only accounted for 5% of what was to take place in order to produce the corn. You see, man's effort, he needs God to work. You'll find that in the scripture, remember in the Old Testament, it talked about the former rains and the latter rains. You know, whenever the Jews would go out and they would plant their seed, they would pray for the former rain because that rain was needed to get the seed to Germany. And then the latter rains would come at the end of the season if you know anything about corn, I grew up on my uncle's farm and he farmed corn. And they would always like to get a nice heavy rain right before harvest. Because you know when that rain comes, it gets those kernels on that corn nice and plump. When you have sweet corn, don't you like nice juicy sweet corn when you bite into it? It just bursts with flavor and bursts with juice. Well, that's what the latter rain would do. And the Jews knew they needed the latter rain in order for the crop to be good. You know, as you think about the spiritual realm, it's no different. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, Paul said, Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. So we see there's four practices that this early church did on a daily basis, and it became the blueprint, the foundation of what the church needs to do in order to survive. Jesus said when he planted the church that the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. But we need to follow his blueprint. We need to do what he showed us that we need to do. You know, when this church did this, you begin to see it had a profound impact 
on the outside world. In verse 43, it said, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs being done through the apostles. You'll find that this church was an awesome church. The word awe there means that there was a sense of fear that came upon the people because they were seeing things they had never seen before. They had no explanation. They needed someone to tell them what was going on, and fear came upon them. The outside world, when they saw what was going on in this church, it got their attention. They wanted to know what was going on. Why were these things happening? You find also in verse 20, 43, it was a powerful church. It says that there were wonders and signs being done by the apostles. The word wonders there means omen or a terrible miracle or sign. It's not the kind of omen that you see in the movies. It's talking about something that was good in the sense that these people saw this. They saw these signs. They saw these wonders. They didn't understand why or how it was happening. And they had to hear that it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was working. And when the people saw the power of the Holy Spirit working, it terrified them. They were in awe at what God was doing. They wanted to know what, what they needed to do in order to continue on. We find also in verse 44, it was a loving church. And all who believed were gathered together had all things common. You find it said earlier that they were in one accord, meaning they were together about all things. Could you imagine what it would be like if we could have churches throughout the Rochester area when you go into that church that everybody's in one accord, everybody thinks the same, everybody works together the same, everybody gets behind their pastor and wants to do the work of God together. They met with one accord. They continued in prayer daily. They had all things common, meaning that they saw needs and they were willing to meet the needs. These people voluntarily gave of themselves and gave of their possessions to make sure that every individual's burden was being taken care of as they got together to hear the apostles' doctrine, to be able to break bread and fellowship and to be able to pray together. And you know what happened? Notice verse 45 and 46. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. You know, when a church gets together and everybody's functioning the way they're supposed to, and you see somebody have need, and everybody does everything to make sure needs are being met, you know what you got? You got a happy church. And they were gathering together in, around household meals. They were gathering together around the Lord's Supper, breaking bread. You find individuals opening their homes to one another. Most of them, likely they were having potluck suppers together on a daily basis. Everyone willingly shared what they had to make sure the physical needs were being met by all these people. Remember, we were talking about an area two million square miles where these people came from. They couldn't just go home in a day. 
And they wanted to learn, so they stayed there, and everybody was just working together, making sure that everybody's needs were met while they were getting trained to be able to go out and do the work that God wanted them to do. And then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because everybody was happy, because everybody was working together, you'll find the church together was praising God every day. They were joyful. And as a result of it, the Lord added to the church daily those that should be saved. I want you to notice, though, that what you have here in Acts chapter 2 was very unique. We don't have that same liberty to be able to get together every day. But, there is something that's recorded here for us that we can practice within our local assemblies. We can get together. We can do the practices that they were doing. We can have the impact. If you have a church that's sold out and working together and people loving one another, the outside world is going to take notice. They're going to want to know what's going on. But you know, there's something else that I like about this text. It says there, and it closes out, that the Lord added unto the church, in verse 41, daily those that should be saved. You know, you'll find the expansion of the church was absolutely amazing because of what these people did. We start out in Acts chapter 1, 120 individuals in Acts 115. When you come to Acts 2, verse 41, you have 3,000 new members being added to the local assembly. In Acts 2, 47, there's daily conversions because of what this church did. In Acts chapter 5, verse 4, you have 5,000 men, not counting women and children, that come to know Christ. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, multitudes of men and women come to know Christ. And I love Acts 6, 7. It says the numbers increase greatly. And then there's a little note. Along with a great number of priests believing, a great number of priests come to the Lord. Then you go to Acts chapter 9, verse 42. Many new believers. Acts 11, verse 21. A large number believed. In Acts 14, 1, a great number. Acts 17, verse 4. A great number of Greeks and leading women came to Christ. In verse 12, same chapter, many new believers. Almost all of Asia is mentioned in Acts 19, 26. In Acts 21, verse 20, a myriad of Jews believed. Some experts estimate by the time you get to Acts chapter 21, there were as many as 100,000 new believers that were congregating in Jerusalem by the end of the first generation of believers. The early church obviously turned the world upside down for Christ. But you know what? They didn't do it. God was working through them because they followed the principles that God wanted them to follow. As we close out, I want you to notice there's three principles that emerge from our text. What God begins supernaturally must operate supernaturally. 
When God begins to work within the body of believers and people begin to come converted, it's a supernatural act, and only God can supernaturally continue to bless that work. But it comes because individuals are committed to doing what God has called them to do. And we find that 2,000 years later, the New Testament church is nothing more than miraculous that it still exists. But it's because of God's working, because of the Spirit of God. Secondly, when the church functions with power, its ministry is unexplainable. You know, when you begin to see the Spirit of God working among people, you can't explain how does that happen. It's not a matter of figuring out the latest technique to try to coerce people to come to church and coerce people to get saved. No, the Spirit of God moves. And when he moves, you can't explain it. I can remember some years ago when I first came to Rochester, I was talking with some missionaries that had just come back from Ecuador. And they said there was a time when they were there and they were preaching the word of God that nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden, one day, no matter where you went, on a street corner, whether you went to a school, no matter where you went when you preached the word of God, people responded and people got saved. And they said it went on for about two months and then it shut down. But during that two months, hundreds upon hundreds of people came to know Jesus Christ. Why? Because the power is unexplainable. And then lastly, when church ministry with godly power, it's undeniable. These people could not deny that there was a power, a godly power working. They could see it. They understood something was happening. They couldn't explain it, but it was undeniable because they could see the results in the lives of these individuals. My prayer for Harvest Bible, Abundant Life, Open Door Baptist Church, where I originally came from, my prayer is that we would be like that first century church in Jerusalem. That we would continue to follow the four practices of doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. That we would continue to be a church that has a profound impact on its community. Be an awesome church. Be a powerful church, a loving church, a happy church, and a praising church. You know, you look across Christian history, church history, you'll find that there's long stretches where the church of Jesus Christ is doing the practices that God tells them to do. And they're having an impact, but every now and then, there's a movement of the Spirit of God that nobody can explain. Nobody could explain the Great Awakenings, the first one, the second one. Some believe there was three of them. But you know, there are times where God's Spirit just moves and I'm praying that God will do that again, not only in Rochester, but America. And I think if we pray and ask God to do a miracle, God will do it. I can remember when I was in the U.S. Navy, there was a time when I first got on board my first ship, 
And I started seeing all the wickedness that was all around me. I was just totally down. I couldn't believe it. So I began to pray about something. I said, God, do me a favor and send a revival to the USS Constellation. And I prayed that for a year and a half. And I was just waiting for God to open up the heavens and some great thing happened through me. But you know what happened? There was one day, there was a man that came to me, a man that used to mock me because I was a Christian. And he wanted to know how to become a Christian. And I thought he was mocking me. So we went to a park, and I spent the whole afternoon going through the book of Revelation, hoping I would scare the pants off of him. And he kept telling me, I want to know how to get saved. So eventually I told him, Nothing seemed to happen, and we left. We stopped by a little ice cream stand, and I got some hot dogs, and he went and got his, went back to the car, and I'm still waiting in line. I get back to the car, and he says, I did it. I said, you did what? I did it, can't you tell? He said, it's like blue smoke everywhere. And I'm thinking, man, this guy is crazy. But you know what God did? That man did get saved that day. And that day when he went back to that ship, he went up to his best friend at midnight, woke him up, and he led his best friend to Christ that night. And between those two individuals, over the next two months, I saw the revival that I had been praying about. It didn't come through me. It came through these two men. They came down, and they started witnessing to the same guys that I was witnessing to. And within two months, 21 of the 45 people that were in that unit got saved. And then God started moving them out. And the only reason I'm telling you this story, we need to believe that God is going to bring a revival. If you believe it, get on your knees and pray and ask God to bring a revival and watch what God will do. God is the same God that worked it back in Acts chapter 2. He's the same God that worked on the USS Constellation. God can bring revival again to Rochester in America. You know, one day there was a time when Charles Finney went downtown in Rochester by the Liberty Pole, and he preached the word of God, and the, it tells us that thousands of people came to hear the word. Don't you want to see times like that again? I think we need to start praying and asking God's Spirit to move among us, among the people around us, in order that we could see one more time before Jesus comes, the Spirit of God bringing souls to Jesus Christ. I'll leave you with that challenge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you so much for what you've done in my heart as I studied this text. Lord, I pray that you would take it, use it in each one of us that are here today. And Lord, help us not to forget what we heard, but Lord, that you would stir us and make us remember that the Spirit of God is what builds the church. And Lord, we can't do anything without you working in our lives individually, working in our lives corporately. Lord, we need your Spirit to do your work. And God, we just ask, that you would take that spirit and bring about a change in us individually in order that we can get together corporately and follow the practices and have the impacts like this church had 
on our community, that we might see people come to know Jesus Christ. And Lord, we'll thank you for all these things. We'll praise you for what you're going to do. And Lord, we thank you that we could be here today and worship together. And we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.